0: And now money matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and retirement advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who can answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question? 919-860-9783. That's 919 919- 860-9783. Now, the Lewises. Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment Advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities.
1: Well, good evening, North Carolina, and thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewises. That's Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, and Deborah Lewis you know for couples that have been clients I, I was just having some some considerations of some of our clients that are couples and some of our clients that that were couples that are now you know one of them has passed away and 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 the wife is a widow or the husband is a widower and for many of our, our our folks that have been uh couples for decades um it's because of the love that they had and the maybe in some cases compromise that they, they, they made in their, their married life that they stayed together. And, in, and now in retirement or pre-retirement, they're seeing the, the, the fruit of their, their love because what they've accumulated is now supporting them in retirement.
2: I was wondering if that was where you're going because so much of the conversation is um, in the office wrapped around how we feel about each other, and in regard to that, now we get to spend time together because mm-hmm. we made it.
0: You Do you remember that couple we met with this past week? It was such an enjoyable time because uh, here they have reached that stage. They're getting ready to retire. He's worked, I think, over 40 years at the same job and everything. And uh, they've been together. And much of our time, my speaking with them in the office was exactly that. Yes, you've made sacrifices through the years, but now you need to teach yourself. You need, the two of you need to enjoy these retirement years that you diligently accumulated for, for with all these years that you were laboring together. Your marriage is still together. You haven't gone through divorce. you raised the kids. The kids are, pay- are out well, of the That's
1: out. not to say that there weren't a f- few bumps in the road,
2: but that's life. Right, Deb? That is. That, that is, is life. That is. There was an article this week uh, about kids, speaking of kids, Linda, that uh, you or not, your kids own the money. And it was speaking to uh, the point that many parents have set up custodial accounts. And at a set age, usually 18 or 21, I think it's 21 in North Carolina, but young adults get control.
0: This actually was one of the questions that the couple I met with this past week, because a lot of times grandparents like to set up accounts for their grandchildren. And so right away the question comes into into focus when we're doing financial planning, what kind of account? Uh, What kind of account can we use? You know, parents and grandparents have a lot to think about as their children approach adulthood. Will they go to college? Will they graduate? But there's one other thing. How are they going to handle these UGMA or UTMA accounts?
2: And a UGMA, that's a Uniform Gift to Minors account or Uniform Transfer to Minor account. Uh, Under terms of the state's Uniform Gift to Minors Act or Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, A custodian controls these accounts while the child is a minor.
0: But the account, the account itself is considered an irrevocable gift to that child who should get control of all the cash and the investments in that account once he or she reaches a certain age. If it's a UGMA account, it's age 18. That's uniform gift to minor's account. If it's a UTMA account, that's a uniform transfer to minor's account. That's age 21 and depending on the state, but the child receives it as an irrevocable gift.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's. If you need help with your personal finances, don't wait. Call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: So, Doug, um, once the child child does uh, receive it as an uh, irrevocable gift, and... Once the child gains control of the money, though he or she may have an entirely different idea of how you should spend it or even just how it should be invested.
0: That's exactly right. And unfortunately, many a time, these accounts have grown to be $100,000, $200,000 or more, and did you really expect that 18-year-old or that 21-year-old to use that, you know, that $100,000, $200,000 for college when maybe they think they would like to take a trip to Europe or maybe they're going to be the next Beatles band and so forth. I mean, you know, these things happen. And so the question comes up, and it did come up last week. What's the best way to do it and not give that huge temptation to the child? Well, we, of course, we do have UGMA accounts. That's one way. But that has the problem. And then the UTMA accounts, that moves the problem a couple of years down the road. Still too young, in my opinion. And many clients don't really, don't want to do it that way. There's another way to do it. And oh, I, well, that's what we did with them. We decided, all right, why don't we go ahead and set up the account for the grandkids, but keep it in the name of the grandparents.
2: I see. So it's earmarked for education costs, but, but legally, we haven't lost control. That's
0: right. It's not an irrevocable gift. Legally, it's in the name of the grandparents. But now there was another objective that the grandparents, clients came to us, wanted to handle, and that was, is there a way that the parents could be reminded on a regular basis to contribute to their children's educational account, even though it was owned by the grandparents. And yes, we did. We set it up to where they can do an automatic, we call it a pay-yourself-first, but an automatic pay-yourself-first of $100 a month or $200 a month right. into their children's account, which is owned by the grandparents. And that solves the whole problem. If times change and it gets to be a huge amount and the grandchildren don't, uh, look like they are destined to use it the proper way or the way they, they, hope don't, they, need it to,
2: they don't need it to. to let's, let's say there's the other side. They got a huge scholarship, everything exactly. paid for, and it, it is said has been uh, used wisely for the family in other ways, whether it's the parents or the uh, grandparents keep it for retirement. needs.
0: So that was it. That was the issue, and I think uh, it doesn't go away. We find more and more of our clients that are interested in setting up accounts for their grandchildren, to go ahead and take care of college needs.
1: You're so, listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF.
0: And don't forget to go to our website, DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com. You can see a video of us and you can hear radio clips. Find out more about how we treat clients in our office, and we also give away a free copy of the book Middle Class Millionaire to those who come to the office for appointments as the couple last week received their free copy.
2: All right. Well, Doug, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week that had a question and answer sequence, and there was one that I liked a lot. It said, what little-known investments should people turn to more often?
0: Well, that's very interesting because I'm saying they should consider real estate investment trusts or possibly some commingled funds that invest in commercial real estate because this asset class is relatively easy to understand tends to pay a very high dividend, can generate additional returns through capital appreciation, and these types of investments might be especially appropriate for investors near or in retirement. These real estate programs, typically we call them REITs, but they're very attractive right now, pay a high dividend, you can go ahead and add them to the portfolio, both in the traded form and the non-traded form. I don't think they're very well known at all.
1: And there are different kinds of REITs, right, Doug? There and are. Them are office REITs. There are. I think we're in one right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, I probably uh, by uh, that's exactly right. And then also um, uh, health care. That's right. And there are warehouses. And,
2: and there are a lot of different
1: kinds offices. because that's
2: what the, the REIT structure is all about. It's a large pool of real estate versus having... Your investment in a large pool of stocks or bonds, you can now add diversification and have a large pool of
3: real estate. If you have questions, the Lewises have answers. Call me at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
0: That's right, Deb. Right now, do you happen to remember what the law is that makes them unique so they pay out more than other types of investments?
2: I do. As a company, they are required to pay out 90% of their income so that they can remain as a company uh, tax-free, or well, they don't pay
0: corporate taxes. That's exactly if they, right.
2: If they abide by that rule.
0: That's exactly right. So IBM, they're very
2: motivated.
0: So they're very motivated. IBM, for example, is a company that pays corporate taxes on its profit. And then what's left over goes to the investor's as dividend so that there's a a double tax to the investor, okay? One at the corporate level, one at the individual level. And so what what he gets is much less. The REITs are tax-free at the corporate level, and if they pay out 90% to the shareholders, that's – and what's that –
2: So if you have a pool of real estate, that income that's coming to you is a part of rent collected.
0: That's all it is. It's just pure rent. Okay. So that's the story on Reach.
1: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Is it time for you to have a second opinion uh, regarding your portfolio and what has been happening in your financial planning world? Call us at Lewis Financial Management. We'll be happy to schedule an appointment with you to address your financial planning issues. The number in Raleigh is 919. 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. Call us to make your appointment. Nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're going
0: to take a caller right now. Brian, what's your money matter this evening? This is Doug Lewis.
4: Uh, Doug, I'm 27, and I've got an income of ninety four thousand dollars a year, and I've got I'm getting mixed uh, comments on how I should invest my money. I want to. I did, it's just a general question that I have. I'm wanting to build my portfolio as quick as possible, naturally, like everybody. Should I be more risk of a risk risk taker at my age, or should I try to be very conservative with my money at this point?
0: It's got nothing to do with your age because of your income and your age. It's got more to do with the type of income. By the way, Brian, what what kind of work do you do? I'm
4: a manufacturer's rep. I you know I get a 10.99. And straight
0: commission. All right, so you're on straight commission. Yes, sir. Okay. Then you need to be more conservative than a typical guy, let's say, who's 45 years old, making 94000 working for IBM. Right. right. Because you're in a feast or famine situation. That's very true. Okay, are you married or single? I'm married. You married any children? I have three children. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even tougher. Yeah, All right. That's right. Okay. Then what you need to do is you need to change hats. All day long, your life is in a very aggressive, fast-paced talk. That's very true. All right, that's the way a salesman makes his living. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you've got to prepare for your wife and your children, and you need to think in terms of a conservative investor. And with a balanced portfolio, you should start... In your case, you should have six months living expenses. What are your living expenses right now? Do you have any idea?
4: Uh, yes, I do. It, it takes about $30,000 a year for me to pay my mortgage bills, so on and so forth. All right, so... And that, that's not business expenses. That's living expenses.
0: Right. Okay. So we're talking about 2500 a month, so six times 25... Means you ought to have about fifteen thousand dollars. First of all, set in a mer- an emergency fund. Right. Now, where should you put that emergency fund? You could be dumb and put it in a savings account. Mm-hmm. Okay. You could be a little smarter and you could put it in a credit union or in a bank in a bank money market account, getting about a half a percent more. You could get a little smarter and go to a money market account at a credit union. Mm-hmm. Or you could go into the money market accounts at the mutual fund family group. Right. And that's where you should keep it. You should keep about 15000 in one of the larger money markets, uh, one of the larger mutual fund families that have unlimited check writing and have no commissions or charges to you for that account. I see. Once you've got that set up, then you should go into your liquid investment. Mm-hmm. There you should have mutual funds. Okay. I don't... By the way, do you have any other investments at all?
4: Uh, at this point, I don't. I mean, my income has jumped dramatically, so I'm just now in a position to where I really need to to take a look at, at, at where I need to put my money.
0: What do you have to start with? How much do you have?
4: Well, at this point, I've put a majority of my money into my house. I mean, it's an equity situation. I have about $40,000 equity in my home.
0: What would you do that for?
4: I just... I built one and rolled it into another one. Uh, so that would be the safest thing for me to do at this point. Uh, without having any professional guidance, that's...
0: Okay, well, that means you're paying high taxes.
4: Uh, Western well Johnson County, yeah, it is...
0: No, 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 I don't mean real estate. I mean income taxes.
4: Well, that's... Uh
0: Oh, you're going to this year. If your income just up this That's year. I'm going to
4: say at this point it hasn't been bad, but it will be.
0: Yeah. You want the maximum income tax deduction you can get. Mm-hmm. Of course, you got three kids and your wife and yourself. you got five right. exemptions. But I would want some more mortgage interest. But in any case, if you're tell, how much do you have to start your portfolio with?
4: Um, as far as liquid? Yeah. I have about $10,000.
0: Okay. Well, you can't do anything just yet. All you can do is start to build your emergency fund. Right. Okay. After you get your emergency fund built, one thing I would do, by the way, Brian, I would go ahead and analyze my living expenses closely and institute what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. Okay. In other words, take those living expenses. If you figure that you're living on 30000 a year, mm-hmm. all right, then run a tax analysis or contact me at my office during the week, and I'll run a tax analysis for you, and we can pull the taxes out and the living expenses, and what's left over would be your monthly discretionary income. Correct. We divide that. Uh, we take that month of discretionary income, and that should be going every month into a mutual fund portfolio.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would go to family of funds that allows free changing between funds so there are no commission charges once you've gone into the family. Right. Go right in one month at a time and go into a balanced fund, and then once you've got that fund up to about 15000 then move into a growth fund with the next fifteen, and I'd keep going up the triangle like that. Okay, Brian, thanks for calling. Thank you, sir. Okie doke. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.
1: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises.
3: If you would like to make an appointment with the Lewises, call Lewis Financial Management at 919 7000 That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Well, there was an interesting article regarding withdrawing money and cutting taxes. Did you see that, Doug?
0: Is that the article in the Wall Street Journal? Yes. yes yeah. Investors can save a lot of money on taxes if they are putting money aside in four o one K plans and IRAs, but many investors who are in or in or near retirement also can end up paying less in taxes in the long run by carefully timing withdrawals from those saving vehicles. A high balance in an IRA can actually be a a curse as well as a blessing when it comes to taxes, particularly for older investors.
2: Uh, once account holders reach the age of 70 and a half, they often must withdraw a minimum amount each year determined by their age and account balance.
0: So if frugal investors delay taking money out earlier to let their accounts grow, then those required minimum withdrawals, we call them RMDs when you're 70 and a half, they can actually push the client into higher income tax brackets and increase the taxes owed.
1: So the solution is start taking at least some of the money out in the decade or so before you turn 70
2: and a half.
0: Or if, you know, And, and, and And that works. That really works well, Linda, because if you do that, even, of course, you have to wait until you're after 59 and a half. But after 59 and a half to start taking it out of the IRA and rolling it over, account holders can now take it out of a tax-deferred account with no penalty. And there was an interesting set of numbers in that article because the client that they referenced had retired early to travel with his wife. He had 800000 in an IRA as well as other savings. The article said that the planner recommended the man take out thirty to 40000 a year, paying income tax on it, no penalty, of course. But put it into a Roth IRA where gains and payouts aren't taxed. Now, recently, that very client turned 70, and he's going to move into a higher tax bracket when he starts taking his required minimum. But at the same time, he's built up a half million dollars in the Roth wow. IRA.
1: Wow. Interesting. And, and that exactly. doesn't have to
0: come out. The Roth IRA doesn't have to come out. So it's much better to plan ahead have Flexibility. Better control of your taxes. Very course, interesting. It is interesting. Of course, it's very tricky calculating whether the strategy is worthwhile. It, it, it gets tricky there. Investors need to figure out which tax bracket they can end up in if they withdraw money from a tax-deferred account. But the difference can very can very certainly be significant. Well, it can now. be significant. It really can, Linda. So it's definitely worth it to not just go by the old-fashioned thought. I'll just leave it there. Of course, when you take it out, you may be thrown into a higher tax bracket.
1: And isn't it true uh, with with uh, some of the clients that, that we've met with, and, you know, there are a lot of folks maybe to you, some of our listen- listeners, you have adequate income and maybe you're still working and you don't need this extra income. But Uncle Sam is saying, hey, it's time for you to start taking it out because as you take it out of your IRA, the government's getting taxes,
3: right? That's right. You have so many questions, and Doug, Linda, and gentlemen at the end. Paul Lewis Financial Management
0: at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Of course, we're seeing more and more clients right now who are telling us, this is the year. Uh, this is the year either they turned 70 late last year, which means they turned 70 and a half this year, or they know this year they're going to be turning 70, but not 70 and a half until the following year, and they want to know what's the best way to play the game to get the best tax benefit.
2: And I think that's the most important part is working with the Certified Financial Planner allows you to take that 10 years or so ahead of time and say, well, I know what's ahead of me. How can I best plan? Can we do some scenarios and some what-ifs? And, and if I'm not needing that money to live off of, how do I uh, withdraw it the best way, the most tax-efficient way? And uh, like you always say, Doug, if we have two pair, uh, two pockets on one pair of pants, we can definitely take money from a tax-deferred account and have it invested into the personal side, and, and we're not losing anything. We're gaining something.
0: All we're doing is moving from one pocket to the other pocket, but we're still in the same pair of pants. Yeah. That's exactly right. Now, this... You're reminding me also of some other well-known, but not necessarily truisms that are out there today. And one of the biggest ones is running into a new uh, fallacy. This is the study that typically said, well, the older you get, the less stocks and the more More bonds." bonds. Right, right. You know, conventional wisdom says just that. People entering retirement should have a big portion of their savings, maybe 40 to 60% invested in stocks to help their nest egg grow over time. And then as they age, all but the wealthiest should gradually reduce their stock exposure to protect against things like 2008 market declines. But there's been a new study that just came out that says exactly what I've been saying for a long time. (laughs) But the study comes from a very reputable source.
2: Okay. The Journal of Financial Planning.
0: That's right. The Journal of Financial Planning is calling this traditional advice into question. The report now finds out that those who take the opposite approach, actually reducing stock exposure right after retirement and then gradually raising it More and more and more over time, these people are likely to make their money last longer. So, again, I am reminded, don't trust the truisms that are out there, the common things that you've heard, Mm -hmm. because you may be going down the very wrong path.
1: And that's why it is important, if you're out there listening, to work with a certified financial planner that can help you look at your situation from a comprehensive viewpoint, one who is a registered investment advisory firm that is going to put your interests ahead of his own and has the expertise and the experience to, uh, you know, to produce analyses that will help you whether you're still working and accumulating or whether you're getting closer to retirement and you need to make some very, definite decisions, important decisions about your future income and your financial independence. So call us at Lewis Financial Management. Leave us your name and number. We'll be happy to get back with you. Let's schedule an appointment to address your financial planning needs. Call us at LFM at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
0: Well, you are touching on a very delicate subject, Linda, because this really is uh, getting more and more press now, the matter of who is watching out for you. Money Talks News on MSN News had a very interesting discussion. The writer said several weeks ago during a regular face-to-face chat about my Roth IRA investment choices, I asked my financial advisor if he'd be willing to sign a fiduciary pledge. Article said, I read a lot about this fiduciary pledge and the fiduciary duty behind them. I knew just enough to be curious about my own advisor's willingness to sign. I even prepared for the part of the conversation by printing out a fairly standard fiduciary pledge and having it ready for him to review and sign. Well... What do you look like, Deborah?
3: If you'd like a personal consultation with either Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Manager at 919 872
2: Fiduciary Pledge. I, the undersigned, and here he left it for the financial advisor's name, pledge to always put the best interest of this guy's, uh, the client's, first, no matter what. As such, I will disclose in writing the following material facts and any conflicts of interest. Actual or perceived that may arise in our business relationship. All commissions, fees, loads, expenses in advance. Client will pay as a result of my advice and recommendations. All commissions, commissions I receive as a result of my advice and recommendations. The maximum fee discount allowed by my firm. The largest fee discount I give to other customers. The fee discount client is receiving, any recruitment bonuses or recruitment compensation I have or I will receive from my firm, fees I paid to others for the referral of clients to me, fees I have or will receive for referring clients to any third parties, and any other financial conflicts of interest that could reasonably compromise the impartiality of my advice and recommendations.
0: And, of course, the financial <laughs> advisor is supposed to sign it. Well, you know what happened, according to the article. How did the advisor react when he read this pledge? His reaction was, according to the writer, very disappointing. He stammered through the response. He said he'd never heard of such a thing as the fiduciary pledge. He said he'd think about it. And a few days later, he called back to inform the writer that he would be unable to sign So, really, we have to come up to this question, well, how important are fiduciary pledges, and what are the implications if your longtime financial advisor declines to sign one? And, of course, in our office, we always sign them. We We have used fiduciary pledges for well over 25 years, but many people don't know. So, it comes down to an important question,
2: which is, what is a fiduciary? And if you're new to the topic of fiduciary pledges, a definition is in order. A fiduciary pledge is essentially a promise made in writing by brokers, financial advisors, or other types of money managers to follow a fiduciary standard of conduct.
1: This sounds so straightforward and sensible that you may ask yourself, well, aren't financial advisors and brokers required by law to do this anyway? The short answer, unfortunately, is no. As real as it may sound, some folks who are dispensing financial advice these days are simply salespeople with impressive-sounding titles, and they may be skewing their investment suggestions to favor those products that pay richer commissions.
0: So then you might be wondering if the person I'm trusting for financial advice won't agree to sign a fiduciary pledge, exactly what is that person's responsibility, and the answer is that most commission-based financial advisors are held to a lesser standard known as suitability. So what does suitability mean, Deborah?
2: Suitability means he is only required to suggest investments that are suitable for an investor with your goals, risk tolerance, and financial needs.
0: So let's get an example of how it might make a big difference to give us an example.
1: Well, suppose your goals and your risk tolerance suggest that a good investment for you would be a stock mutual fund, and there are two similar funds available. So one charges a 5% commission, and the other a 2%. Okay. The fiduciary would be honor-bound to suggest the fund with the lower cost, because that's obviously in your best interest. Well, the suitability standard, on the other hand, Allows the advisor to suggest the fund that pays him the higher commission because either fund is suitable.
0: So really what do you do if you find yourself in the uncomfortable position of having a trusted longtime financial advisor you've been dealing with who declines or refuses to sign a fiduciary pledge? If you have questions,
3: the wishes have answers. Call them at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
0: Personally, I only work with such an advisor until I found a different one whose firm didn't mind explicitly guaranteeing that they will put the customer's interest ahead of their own and sign a fiduciary pledge. You know, consumers have to begin to demand that all investment professionals who dispense advice be held to this fiduciary standard of conduct, and those who are unwilling or unable should understandably be called out.
1: What an interesting article. Isn't that very straightforward?
0: We're going to hear more and more about this. The matter of the fiduciary standard, uh, it has been glossed over for years, but at last it's coming to the forefront, and I think the public needs to know the difference between suitability standard and fiduciary standard, and their person that they deal with should be willing to sign such a pledge.
1: You know, it's very interesting. Over the years, I know that there have been uh, some prospective clients and clients that, um, you know, when they came to us, everything wasn't disclosed. Maybe they bought an annuity or some other vehicle. And it is important that everything be disclosed.
0: Wouldn't you agree, Doug? Absolutely. It's the, it's the investor's right. You have a right, not it shouldn't even be thought of, you have a right to know everything because it's your money.
1: Another interesting topic has to do with nest eggs, Social
2: Security, and Roth conversions. Say someone has a tax deferred account, a non-Roth, with a contribution value, meaning that's what they contributed, of about $200,000 and a current value of $600,000. What if the entire $600,000 was placed in a federal and state tax-free municipal bond for one year and then withdrawn? Would there be taxes on the $400,000 gain even though it is withdrawn from a tax-free investment?
0: You would not you would not uh, imagine how many people ask me the same question. Can I go ahead and put my investments in my IRA in something tax-free, such as a municipal bond, uh-huh. and then when I withdraw it out, not have to pay tax? Sorry, it isn't possible to escape taxation on withdrawals from an IRA by temporarily investing the money in tax-free unions. It doesn't matter what's going on inside the IRA. Whatever comes out of the IRA, Deborah, is going to be taxable. End of story.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So an IRA is like a tax-deferred vehicle, but eventually, when money flows out as income, what's going to happen?
0: You're going to pay tax. Now, there were a lot of other questions that came into the different mailboxes that I saw over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kiplinger had a couple of interesting questions.
2: And this one was in regard to uh, required distribution from my late husband's IRA. My husband died earlier this year. I plan to roll his IRA into my IRA. I am 68 years old, so I'm not required to take a minimum distribution yet, but my husband already started his. Does that mean I have to take distributions every year after I roll his account into mine?
0: And the answer there is no. No, you can roll, <clears throat> you can roll the balance into your IRA, and you'll not have to take another distribution until you turn seventy and a half, and then the required minimum distribution is going to be based on your own life expectancy, not your husband's.
1: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680, WPTF, and if you have finally made a decision that you need some financial planning advice, call us at Lewis Financial Management during the week at 919-872-7000. We'll be happy to schedule an appointment for you, and let's stop procrastinating. Let's plan for your future. Call us again at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000.
2: Now how about calculating IRA and 401k distributions separately? This person said they had turned 70 and a half this year. She has two IRAs and three 401k accounts from their former employers. Do I
3: need to take minimum distributions from all the accounts? You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises. If you need help with your personal finances, don't wait. Call Lewis Financial Management at 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand.
0: You need to calculate the required minimum distribution for each four hundred one k separately, and then withdraw the RMD from each account. With the IRAs, you have to tell, you can just total up all of the balances as of December thirty one, and then figure out what is the full required minimum on that, and take out that from any one of the IRAs. But really, to reduce future workload, it would be wise to consolidate all of the 401ks and the IRAs into one single IRA, and then you can conduct one calculation, take out an RMD from one single account.
1: There are a lot of folks out there with questions about
0: IRAs and 401ks. Well, it's you know it's a lot of those uh, yeah 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 people you're talking about, Linda. I mean this is this is the this is the generation that's running into the issues of. We're coming into that period when the IRS says they want their piece of the action.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Here's another question. Um, a, a woman who is a widow inherited inherited her husband's IRA last year when he died at the age of sixty-seven. So the wife is sixty-four, and she's wondering: Is she required to take a minimum distribution?
0: No. Not if she leaves the IRA with his name on it and with her named as the beneficiary, then she'll have to take a required minimum distribution in the year that he would have turned 70 and a half, and the R&D will be based on your or her life expectancy. If she rolled it into her own IRA, then she can wait until she turns 70 and a half before taking a distribution. The R&D, the required distribution, And all future years is going to be based on her life expectancy.
1: Now, this is an interesting situation. And this is, well, you know, I'm just thinking that this is a situation where it would behoove her to work with a certified financial planner.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The beneficiary IRA, which is described in one situation, versus the rollover to the spouse is another one. Uh, You can really uh, get a lot of mileage or... Hurt yourself a lot if you don't work with someone who understands all of the rules.
1: Exactly, because, you know, some folks at 64, they're professionals in the field, and they have high income. Others are just homemakers, and maybe they, you know, stayed home with the children and didn't really have a career. But still, you know, in retirement, you want to plan for the fun things that you want to do, whether it's traveling or spending time with the grandkids or gifting to your children. So... Call us at Lewis Financial Management and write down your questions. We'll be happy to schedule an appointment with you. The number in Wally is 919 8727000 That's 919-USA-7000. All right,
0: Doug, let's take another call. Margaret, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
1: I don't know whether you can answer this question or not, but my brother recently passed away and he didn't leave a will, and he told several people... That he wanted my son to have his house. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I don't have a problem with this except I have two other children. And what procedure can I go through to give him the house? Can I give it to him before I sell it or now?
0: Well, you inherited the house. Right. Well, and has the estate been probated? Not yet. Well, technically, I don't think that you can... Now, how many heirs... Just one. You're the only one? Right. Mm Uh-huh. Well, I everything
1: he has is mine, and I'm the administrator of, of his estate.
0: Right. Uh, this is a, a a question for an estate attorney. I'll take a shot at it, and I'll qualify by saying I'm not uh, I'm not an attorney. Mm-hmm. I'm a financial planner, and I work with a number of estate attorneys. But and if you by the way if you call my office, I'll give you the name of a qualified estate attorney. But uh, I I believe that you that you as the administrator of the estate have a fiduciary responsibility to keep the estate properly uh, under all guidelines until you've completed the administration and the probate process is finished. Mm -hmm. I know that there are family members who, when they are uh, executors or administrators, they do things because they know that nobody's going to object to it. The objection would come from a disgruntled heir.
1: Well, good. And if you would like any further information, you can call us at the office at 872-7000. That's USA 7000.
2: I'll be happy to send you some information. Thank
0: you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, you're certainly welcome, Mm -hmm. Margaret. Thank
2: you for calling. Doug, another situation that um, comes up is about creating a special needs trust for a spouse. And uh, this particular person said that her husband had Alzheimer's disease and and she had heart disease. And she asked, if I die first, he won't be able to manage the money. I have his financial power of attorney. Should I set up a trust?
0: This is a very, uh, um, unfortunately, not as uncommon as you would think uh, situation, and we hear them in our office quite a bit. Special needs trusts are the issue. These trusts take effect when you die and will provide for a spouse who has an illness that impairs his decision-making capabilities. You put in enough money to pay for anticipated care costs for his life expectancy. You can use the rest of the money to pay for your own expenses and to leave dear children or other heirs. A special needs trust protects the spouse's ability for certain government benefits, such as Medicaid, and then assets in the trust are not counted when eligibility for nursing home payments is considered. Then the money in the trust can pay for other services such as a home health aid private nursing home room wheelchair and so on the answer there is yes a special needs trust
1: these are very important important issues uh for many of us senior couples that you know as we age uh, our health starts to go down and in some cases i know that we've had some of our clients recently that have had questions about we're really thinking about downsizing we'd like to get a, a house maybe a ranch and forget about a second floor because you know as you get older your knees arthritis heart trouble etc and so it is important whether and if you're listening tonight on the air um, Maybe you're the, the child of aging parents, and you have questions. And maybe you're wondering, should you have that conversation with mom and dad? And if you have had any thoughts, write down the kinds of questions. that You, you know, sometimes you just need to have a little script because sometimes, uh,
2: you know, what kind of things you want to get answered when you go in to meet with a financial planner?
1: And what kinds of questions do you have about your situation? Oh, yes. And um, if you're the child, sometimes you're ashamed to ask mom and dad because they haven't volunteered the information, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, Doug, uh, Doug when you were, before your dad passed away?
0: It took a while. It, it took, took, took a while. while. It took a while before dad would totally open up, even though it was my profession. But he was so happy once he did open up because... There's the your, comfort. Yeah, there's the comfort that it's under control, and then even the commission me to go ahead and make sure I can care a mom after he passed away, and my mom did the same thing. So, yeah, this type of uh, of, of second-generation type of planning is crucial because things do occur, and people get weaker, and all these needs surface.
3: If you would like to make an appointment with the Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's nine one nine USA seven
0: thousand. Well, Doug, uh, let's take Nancy's call. Hi, Nancy. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
5: Hi, thank you for taking my call. All right. Um, I won't bore you with all the court details, but my husband and I kind of got started late um, in our financial planning, um, just by just some some um, some things that happened. But anyway, um, what I want to ask you is, we have two homes. We have one, a vacation home, and then just our primary residence. And I wonder, how smart is that to let real estate be part of your financial planning for the long term like we're thinking that you know, if we had to later in life, we could sell one of the homes and we would have that money, and maybe it would appreciate through the years.
0: Boo. Bad so move. Is that
5: that doesn't make sense.
0: Bad move. Okay. Um, let's let's get a little closer though into some numbers. For some people, it's fine, but my knee jerk reaction is boo, bad move. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at some numbers. How how old are you? I'm forty. Forty years old. How old is your husband?
5: He's forty-four.
0: My husband's forty-four, and wife is forty. All uh, right. Any children at home?
5: Yes. How, how Two teenagers, 13 and 16.
0: Okay. Two teenagers. Income of the husband?
5: Uh, about 45.
0: 45. Income of the wife?
5: About 35.
0: 35. 70, 80,000 combined income. Investment portfolio, what does it look like on the non-retirement investment?
5: It's pretty low. We have about 5,000 in stocks and bonds, and we only have a 500 in savings.
0: Okay. So That's basically easy. okay, so basically no investment portfolio. What about on the retirement side?
5: Um I have uh retirement at work and I think it's maybe like maybe forty six, something like mm-hmm.
0: that. And husband's retirement plan? He has nothing. No retirement mm-hmm. plan. Okay. Um let's go over to the residence. How much is the residence worth?
5: Um, each one is worth about
0: 120.
5: 120, one of them we just bought. So
0: and uh, what's the equity in the vacation home?
5: It's twenty thousand all
0: right, twenty thousand equity, so you had twenty thousand dollars to invest uh, somewhere and you put it in the vacation home. right, okay, well, uh you're right um when you began by telling you you know it's not a real pretty picture uh-huh. uh it's really an accident waiting to happen, and it scares me looking at a situation like this uh bottom line is. You've got an $80,000 income. You certainly can't afford to maintain two mortgages. and You shouldn't maintain two mortgages, and there's no reason to. Uh, real estate uh, certainly should not be part of your investment portfolio by any means. Uh, and basically, you have uh, uh, you should be focusing on accumulation as rapidly as possible under the means of what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. What are your living expenses, Nancy?
5: Uh, about what we make.
0: You're spending 80000 a year?
5: Yeah, because we have two homes. And the problem is... Oh,
0: forget... Okay. Now, what's the mortgage in the second home?
5: Um, it's about 1000 a month.
0: 1000 a month. So what you're telling me is that if you didn't have that vacation home, you could invest 1000 a month plus that 20000 as a starter kit. Right. Well, that's what you should do.
5: But right. the problem is we have a feeling that if we sold the home, we would lose our shirt. Tough. That's why I'm thinking nope. that we should hang on to it.
0: Wrong. Okay. Wrong move. Wrong move. You see, you have a $120,000 uh, thing that you've got there, but you've got an $80,000, no, you've got a $100,000 debt. Right. Well, if all it means is when you say lose your shirt, you might lose your 20000 Right. But yeah. you're not going to lose. But, but I don't like you sitting there with virtually nothing in savings, your husband having a zero retirement plan, you having barely nothing in your retirement plan, two teenagers at home, and uh, you are saying that I could be investing at a 1000 a month into mutual funds, but uh, I'd rather have an IOU of $100,000. Yeah, well,
5: we wouldn't rather have it. We just have a feeling that it might be hard to get rid of.
0: Well, I'd get rid of it anyway. Okay. I'd get, I'd get out of it. And I'd do just the same things if you bought, it, bought yourself a, a stock and it was down 20000 and you lost, well, you're lost and go on. Right, so you've cut at, our
5: losses.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah I, I definitely would try and get yourself into, you've got to be accumulating. Right. You see, you have, what you must reach is a point where you have an accumulated portfolio of investments equal, the income from which is equal to your lifestyle. So if you're spending, uh, let me see, I wonder what your expenses are without the taxes and without the you know, the one mortgage Let's say that maybe you're spending about 60000 a year, mm-hmm. okay? Well, that means you need roughly, uh, say, 700000 in an investment portfolio. Okay. Because that could produce the 60000 a year income, which would give you the security that you're after. Okay. And the only way you're going to get it is, and the good thing is, you're only 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You do have 20 years compounding in front of you. Of course, the, the risky thing is also that somebody could lose their job. Right. And so, you know, I, I, my advice would be, you know, down and dirty. Get, put it up for sale. Get rid of it immediately. Yeah. And uh, if you come out having lost your $20,000, uh, okay, you lost your 20000 At least you can invest a 1000 a month for the next 20 years. Right. Uh, and that would be a large, large number, by the way.
5: Well, you know, just to kind of, I guess, kind of better picture... Our strategy was: we thought, okay, we'll buy this house; it'll be paid for in 15 years. We have a 15-year mortgage, and this will be our business. We'll 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 retire there. But you know what? It's going to be too much house for us, and too much yard, and it's like we won't... Right.
0: what good does it do to retire and have a house paid for and have no food in the refrigerator right. or in the kitchen? I know you can't eat that house. Yeah. Financial security isn't the home. Financial security is the uh, the the income stream. It supports the lifestyle. So many people have that confusion. They think if they're going to have that big house with brick and mortar paid for. Right. But that's not financial security.
5: Right. Okay? Well, thank you. That's you kind of what we've
0: awesome. been
1: thinking,
5: and you've confirmed that for
0: us. Good for you, Nancy. Thank you. Okay, and good I Nancy,
1: if I could send you any uh, information that we have, I'll be happy to do so. You'll just call me at the office. Okay, what's that number? And that number in Raleigh is 872-7000. Thank it's you. USA 7000. Thank you very much. All right, and I'd like to hear
0: the day you get the household, you call me on the air and let me know you did it. All right. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Good luck, man. That was a great
3: call.
0: To make your appointment at Lewis Financial Management here in Boston. call the Lewises at
3: 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug,
2: I have a question for you. What is a stretch IRA?
0: You know, a lot of people are confused about what's a stretch IRA. A stretch IRA can actually help stretch out the tax deferral to a younger beneficiary after the account owner has died. Now, we need to understand that a stretch IRA is a traditional IRA that passes from the account owner to a younger beneficiary at the time the account owner dies. We're seeing a lot of large IRAs these days, three quarters of a million dollars, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars, because people who might have worked for 30 or 40 years accumulating their 401K and then rolling it to an IRA. So we have these large IRAs, and now the question comes, well, what happens when he dies? Since the younger beneficiary now has a longer life expectancy than the original IRA owner, he or she can stretch the life of the IRA by receiving smaller required minimum distributions each year over his or her life. That's the younger life. More money, then, can remain in the IRA, which really is a tax deferred environment. Now, this only has to do, by the way, with a non-spousal. Very good. A non-spouse. All right but if it's like saying uh, we're leaving it to a child mm-hmm. or the first uh, spouse has already died. Now, creating a stretch IRA has no effect on the account owner's r and requirements, which continue to be based on his or her life expectancy. So once you're over 70 and a half, we know that you have to have a required minimum distribution, which we call an RMD. So when you create a stretch IRA, that doesn't have any effect on what your r and is as long as you're alive. But once you die... Beneficiaries begin taking RMDs based on their life expectancies. So, where, whereas the owner of a stretch IRA has to begin receiving RMDs after reaching seventy and a half, the beneficiaries of a stretch IRA they begin receiving theirs at the time of the second owner, at the time of the first owner's death. But uh, it's a very powerful tool. It may not be suitable for everybody, but that's what a stretch IRA is. And by opting to take only the required minimum amount, the beneficiary can theoretically stretch the IRA and the tax deferred growth of that IRA throughout his or her entire lifetime.
2: And that's the real power. You know, you've enhanced the ability to stretch IRA assets um, that normally you would have to receive and immediately pay taxes on. That's right. That's right. You know, this is a benefit to take advantage of, you know, that the IRS does provide to us. So, uh, if you have questions about that, give us a call during the week at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand.
1: It is wonderful that over a person's lifetime they accumulate in a retirement vehicle, and I think the such IRA is just one of those vehicles that helps because after a person dies, then. The beneficiary, as you said, Deborah, would have to immediately pay the taxes.
0: That's right, Lynn. At
1: their tax level.
0: You know, a lot of people aren't clear that there's no problem for a spouse. If a husband dies with a $2 million IRA, he leaves it to his wife 100% tax-free. It rolls into her IRA tax-free. But if she passes away, then... The heirs, the children, as an example, they would normally have to come up with a huge tax. Uh, So the stretch IRA plays into that very well.
1: Thank you for joining us on Money Matters.
3: You've been listening to
0: Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio
3: 680WPTF.